0: While we're waiting, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15 as we continue our study through the gospel of Matthew. We're picking it up this morning in verse 21. While you're turning there, um, if you were not here or did not get to hear pastor mitch's message last week i highly recommend that to you it's on the website it's on the app um, i was so blessed i didn't get to hear it live while it was happening uh, but i listened to it on the way home from the airport on tuesday morning and i was just blown away at how good that message was so uh the first half of matthew 15 with pastor mitch last week if you missed it please go back and listen to that it was incredible This morning, picking it up in verse 21, we're going to read together. We'll have the scripture on the screen for you in case you don't have a Bible. So beginning in Matthew 15, verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, "'Send her away, for she cries out after us.' But he answered and said, "'I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel.' Then she came and worshipped him, saying, "'Lord, help me.' But he answered and said, "'It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs.' And she said, "'True, Lord,' Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. And Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountains and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them those who were lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me three days, and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven, and a few little fish. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish, and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children, and he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. Lord, would you add your blessing to the reading of your word and give us understanding and give us insight and teach us that we might grow closer to you, that we might be more fully devoted to you, Lord, and understand, again, just how much you love us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus, after his interaction with the Pharisees last week in the first part of chapter 15 begins a shift in his ministry, and it's important for us to understand this. Up till now, he has spent the first two and a half years or so of his ministry, ministering primarily to the Jewish people, to the nation of Israel. But now there is a shift, there is a turn right here in the middle of chapter 15, where Jesus begins to minister almost exclusively to Gentiles for the balance of his time in ministry. So as he has now traveled, it says he had went out from where he had been ministering and the conflict that he had last week, as Pastor Mitch shared with us, with the uh, scribes and the Pharisees. says he went out from where they were and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now if you take the map in the back of your Bible and flip to them, you'll notice that Tyre and Sidon is up on the coast, up on the Mediterranean. And Jesus had been down by the Sea of Galilee ministering. And so now he's gone out to a distinctly uh, Gentile territory, and in Mark's parallel account, in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30, you find uh, Mark refers to her as the Phoenician woman. Uh, here she's called a Canaanite woman, it's one and the same person. And so as he departed and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he arrived there, A woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed. Now, Jesus, if you can roll back to the earlier part of chapter 15, when he was ministering to the scribes and the Pharisees, of course, they had been rejecting Jesus. They had been questioning his authenticity. Are you really the Messiah? And these were the people of God. These were the people who had been given faith. These were God's chosen people. And God's own Messiah was before his people. And not only did they not recognize him, they were rejecting him. And so now Jesus, this is meant for us to be a stark contrast. He's now gone into a region, a Gentile region, a pagan region, a woman of Canaanite, a Canaanite woman, uh, If you remember your Old Testament history, the Canaanites were pagan people who worshipped idols. And so this woman, as Jesus has come into her region, knows who Jesus is. Word has traveled. Let's remind ourselves there was no internet, there was no email, there was no texting. That the, the word traveled by mouth of what Jesus had been doing. And so as Jesus came into the region, somehow she knew about it. And as she heard that Jesus came, she immediately went to him out of her great need, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Now Jesus had traveled some 50 or so miles uh, west by northwest from where he was to get out to that region. And as he got there, this woman, who was a descendant of people who were flat-out pagan idol worshipers, Recognized who Jesus was. Now, the contrast is with those people who should have known who Jesus was, who were the Israelites, who were the people that God had chosen, that He had ministered to them, that He had given His word to. These were people who had studied the word, as Pastor Mitch so skillfully reminded us last week. They were scribes, they were the copyists of the law. People went to them to understand the finer details of the law anytime there was a question. These are the people who knew the scriptures. They should have known the signs. They should have known that the scriptures had foretold of the time that Jesus was walking among them and who he would be and what he would be like. Instead, they were blinded by their tradition and they were blinded by their own understanding and by their own desires. They had read into the scriptures things that were not there, that the Messiah would be a political Messiah. And they had great political need and Jesus didn't fit that mold. But Jesus now, as he walks into this, this town, a town devoid of God, a place much like our own city, and as he walks in there, this woman comes out, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. It's important and significant for us to note that she knew the messianic terms. She knew who Jesus was. O Lord is referring to him as God. Son of David is referring to him as the Messiah. How would someone who lives in this culture, who was brought up in a place without any religion, never going to church, never going to synagogue, how would she know? Yet somehow she knew. O oh Lord, Son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. This woman has taken upon herself the need of her child, and what parent wouldn't take that need upon themselves, who would who would not go to the Lord and cry out to Jesus, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. My My daughter is not only sick or dying, but she's possessed, in this case, by a demon. And so, Jesus, as he comes to this region, it would seem that he's come for a divine appointment. He's come for a reason. And this reminds me As Jesus comes into this region, if you remember the story in John chapter 4, when Jesus came to meet the woman at the well, in John chapter 4 it says he had left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. And as we read that account there of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well, we know that he had to go through Samaria, that he had a divine appointment with her. And this story is very similar in that way that Jesus, it would seem, went to the region of Tyre and Sidon because he had a divine appointment with this this Canaanite woman who had a demon-possessed daughter. And she cries out to him and she appeals to him as both the Lord and as the Messiah and says, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. So we need to see that this plea that she's making to Jesus is prayer. She's crying out to the lord let's remind ourselves this morning what prayer is sometimes we have this idea that you get in your closet you shut your door and that you're praying and that's your prayer time and it's true of course that we do do that and we should do that but a, but prayer is generally defined as just communicating with god just talking with god worshiping him crying out to him making our needs known conversing with god asking god you know god lord what do you want Lord, what's your desire? What's your will in this situation? It's having a conversation with God. And so this woman, in my opinion, is praying as she's interacting with Jesus. And when she came to Jesus, she made her daughter's need her own need. And she came to Jesus and pleaded for her daughter who was severely demon-possessed. And in verse 23, but he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. And I think there's at least two ways that we can understand what's happening here with the disciples. One is they didn't want to be bothered that this woman was making a commotion, she was making a fuss. And remember, as we go back through the previous chapters, Jesus had been t- trying to take his disciples aside to get some rest, if you've been following the story. And every time he said, hey, let's go over here and rest, a crowd showed up. And let's go over there and rest. And people showed up with needs. And so now they've gone out to this region 50 miles away. They've gone away from the Jews where all the crowds are. And they walk into this city where he shouldn't be known. And immediately this woman comes up with her need. Oh, Lord, son of David. And they're like, how do you know who Jesus is? Lord, send her away. Come on, man, we're tired of dealing with this. But there's another possibility, and the possibility is, and many commentators feel, that what was happening here is that they were saying, Look, Lord, just give her what she wants and send her away. Just grant her request. Lord, just heal her demon-possessed woman so we can have some peace, her demon-possessed daughter. Either way, you can kind of get the sense here of what's happening that these disciples... Maybe rather than seeing themselves as people who were the students and the learners, as the word disciple means, of the Lord Jesus, at this point they're sort of acting more like his bodyguards. Lord, send her away, Lord. She's she's an annoyance. She's bothering us. But this woman, as Jesus came near to her place, to her region... We see that she is now coming to the Lord in faith, as we've seen with all of these people who come to Jesus and they cry out to Him. They've been everywhere else. They've gone to the doctors. They've spent the money. They've talked to other people who have been unable to help, and now they're doing what they have to do, which is they come to Jesus. This woman has a faith. And we need to see her faith in this story. Sometimes faith is found in the places where we might have least expected that it would be found. Have you ever had that happen? You expect to find faith at church. You expect to find faith among people who proclaim the name of the Lord. But sometimes we're out somewhere. And all of a sudden, there's a person with faith who pops up. And we're like, wow. Wow. God's doing something here. I thought this was a God-forsaken, barren place, but God's apparently doing something. And Jesus, sort of not answering her, and, and, and the sense I get as I read this passage is she's sort of standing here making her plea to the Lord, the disciples are here, and he's looking at them, not at her. And we might think that this is a rude thing, but Jesus has a point here, if you'll stick with us for a few minutes. But he answered and said, and again, looking at the disciples, not at the woman, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Seems like kind of a cold response. He's like, well, what are you doing over here then, Jesus? In this Gentile place, if you were sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, I think you took a left when you should have taken a right. Maybe you you kind of went 50 miles the wrong direction. Now, Do I need to make an application here to men who don't take direction well? Well, I'll just leave that to you. But he answered and he said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. Notice the persistence of her faith. Then, Rather than being turned away by Jesus' answer, she becomes a little more insistent. She presses in more. And I think this is exactly the point of of what Jesus is doing in this situation. I think he's trying to draw out her faith, partly for her, partly for the benefit of perhaps the others who were there, but also certainly for the disciples. And then she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. Notice what she did. She didn't walk away dejected and rejected. She worshiped him. That's our old familiar word that talks about prostrating ourselves before God. And it would seem to imply that rather than turning away with the answer that Jesus gave, that perhaps she fell on her knees before him with her hands open and said, Lord, Lord, help me. It's amazing as we Think about everything that's happened up to this point and all of the ministry to the nation of Israel and yet they rejected him and Jesus walks into this heathen, pagan, Gentile, Canaanite region and this woman comes running up with this incredible faith saying, Lord, help me, son of David, God. And she worshipped Jesus even before she had an answer. You know, too often we worship God after he does something, right? Right? But she began to worship the Lord before he did anything. Because he was the Lord and because he was worthy. Not because, you see, the love of God is not conditional, right? The love of God is unconditional. And so we worship God for who he is. Not for what he does. Yes, he does great things and we do worship him for those things. But that is not the primary reason. Remember when Satan came before the throne of God in the book of Job. Do you remember what Satan said? He says, God, I know you just blessed Job because of all the blessings in his life, because of all the good things you've done for him. That's the only reason he worships you. If you take away those things, let's see if what he's really made of. Let's see if he truly loves you. Or does he just love you because of the blessing? And this woman It's obvious here. You see, she had nothing. She's coming from a position of nothingness. She's coming from a position of brokenness. And in that brokenness and in that place of great need, she worships Jesus. Now, keep in mind the times as well that this was a time when women who were not a class group, she comes before Jesus and before this group of men. And she humbles herself not as a Jew as a Gentile as a pagan and she says lord help me now before we move on i want you to if you have your bible and if you're not afraid to write in it and you shouldn't be you should underline or highlight or circle that phrase lord help me we we've seen it before we saw it with peter when peter was taking a step out on the ocean, walking on the water to Jesus. And as he began to get his eyes off of Jesus and to look at the circumstances around him, remember he began to sink and he said something very similar. He said, Lord, help me. And so here is this woman on her knees before Jesus crying out to him saying, Lord, help me. You see, this is a prayer. This is a very effective prayer. I commend this prayer to you because it is such a handy prayer said Spurgeon. You can use it when you are in a hurry. You can use it when you, when you are in a fright. You can use it when you have not time to bow your knee. You can use it in the pulpit, Lord help me, <laughs> if you are going to preach. You can use it when you are opening your shop. You can use it when you are rising in the morning. It is such a handy prayer, and I hardly know any position in which you could not pray the words, Lord help me. A great prayer for you and me. But let's also not miss the fact that often affliction proves to be a blessing. Affliction proves to be a blessing. As it was in the case of this woman, because what does affliction do to a person's soul? What I've seen in my life is that it can either cause people to become bitter or it can cause people to more fervently seek the Lord. And this woman sought the Lord. I've mentioned to you before as we've been going through this, a person that I love, and I don't know if we... I'm just going to mention this to Mitch live here. Uh, Maybe we can get a book by J.C. Ryle and put it in the bookstore. I mean, I love this guy. He said this about this passage. Let us pay, pay close attention to this. There is nothing which shows our ignorance so much as our impatience under trouble. We forget that every cross is a message from God and intended to do us good in the end. Trials are intended to make us think, to wean us from the world, to send us to the Bible, and to drive us to our knees. Health is a good thing, but sickness is far better if it leads us to God. Prosperity is a great mercy, but adversity is a greater one if it brings us to Christ. Anything, anything is better than living in carelessness and dying in sin. Better a thousand times to be afflicted like the Canaanite mother and like her flee to Christ than live at ease like the rich fool And die at last without Christ and without hope. Wow. So as this woman is there before Jesus, worshiping him, crying out to him, Lord, help me, verse 26, he answered and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now it might also help us here to understand the code that's going on in this interaction. You see, Jesus is a Jew. Jews looked at Gentiles as dogs. Now, Jesus is not referring to her in that way because the term he's using here is not the term that the the Hebrews or the Jews typically used of dogs, which were just a wild Uh, you know, crazy dog that, you know, like the dogs you would see maybe traveling in packs and that kind of thing. And the Jews would see that and say the Gentiles are like those dogs. No, in this case, we're going to find out in just a moment, he's referring to little dogs, to little puppies. It's a completely different word. It's a household pet, not the despised kind of dog that you would see out in the community. And so he's saying to this woman, again, I believe not looking at her, looking at the disciples, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs, meaning who are the children? The children of Israel. Remember, I came to minister to the household of Israel. So it's not good to take what I'm here to give to the children and give it to the dogs, meaning the Gentiles. Jesus saying, God's called me to minister to the Hebrews. And she said, yes, Lord, listen to her faith here. Verse 27 should be underlined and highlighted. Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Get yourself out of your 21st century mentality and put yourself back in first century Jewish culture. The table was about 18 inches to two feet off the table, off the floor. If you were sitting at someone's house, you were invited to dinner, you're sitting on pillows or mats at the table. The dogs are right there beside you. The little puppies would be under the table. And so what would happen in their culture is as they ate, again, take yourself out of the place of understanding paper napkins or cloth napkins if you're a bit more formal in the place setting with a fork and the knife and all that. They just had maybe a little dish. And they would eat by breaking off something and dipping it in the sauce and everybody's dipping in the same little jar of sauce, so you got to put out of your mind the whole issue of double dipping and spit and all of that. And understand, this is the way culture was. And so what they did is they always saved some of the, the bread for the end, and what they did is they would take that bread, and as they finished eating, they would wipe off their hands with those pieces of bread and toss it to the little puppies under the table. And so that's what Jesus is talking about, and that's what she understands. She, she caught Jesus' implication. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. In other words, the bread that was actually meant for the children at the table and give that to the dogs. And she said, But yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. I mean, the persistence of her faith. Listen, Lord, if you're going to liken me to a dog, and, she, and I believe she's saying here, I believe reading between the lines, she's saying, I know I'm not a Jew. I know I'm not of the privileged children of Israel, but doesn't God have something for us Gentiles? I mean, isn't the court, the outer court of the temple, called the court of the Gentiles? Isn't that the place where God wanted the the nations to come to him? Yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She understood this. She understood. She's responding in great faith to what Jesus is saying to her. She's not demanding to be seen as a child of Israel. She's only asking God, would you bless me as a puppy? Would you let some of the crumbs fall from the table to me? I mean, listen to the persistence. Listen to the faith. It was as if she said, Jesus, I understand that the focus of your ministry is to the Jews. They have a special place in God's redemptive plan. Yet I also understand that your ministry extends beyond the Jewish people and I want to be a part of that extended blessing. You may remember in the Old Testament in Genesis 32, you you remember Jacob was traveling to meet his brother Esau and he had this encounter with this pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ in Genesis 32. And it says, Then Jacob was left alone, he sent his family away, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go for the day breaks, the Lord speaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That is exactly what's happening here with this woman. She is refusing to let the Lord leave until he gives her a blessing, until he answers her question, until he gives her something. Then Jesus answered and said to her, verse 28, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And I believe in that moment, he shifted his focus from the disciples to her. And he looked at her, and he acknowledged her, and he said, that's what I'm talking about. That's faith. Great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Again, coming back to Spurgeon, he says things so well. He says, let us always plow to the very end of the field and serve our day and our generation to the extreme limits of our sphere, meaning... Let's not give up on people. Let's not look at people or people groups or places and say, well, that's beyond the hope of the gospel. Jesus went to Samaria. Jesus went to Tyre and Sidon. And he went there because God had an appointment to him. Our, our dear brother Jesse went down to Philadelphia preaching the gospel. And I pray that that what he said is true, that several a dozen, if not, you know, 100, 150 people or more have come to know the Lord. Don't we want to see that happen here? I do. Don't we want to see the gospel preached and people getting saved? I mean, I believe we're all sitting here, but hopefully because we've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and our sins have been forgiven and we are here to be in his presence. We're here to be with his people. We're here to sit under the teaching of his word. And what a great thing that is. But it's not meant only for us, is it? It's meant for everyone. Samuel Rutherford stated this principle perfectly. It is faith's work to claim and challenge loving kindness out of all of the roughest strokes of God. In other words, where we see places that don't seem like faith will come from there that we press into the Lord and we pray and we seek His face. You see, it was this faith that Jesus was looking for in this woman. Because as she came, I believe he knew, being the Lord, that she had faith. But he wanted, I believe, also his disciples to see that God has people everywhere, Jew and Gentile alike, heathen and pagan as well as religious, Faith is often the greatest when it is expressed on behalf of someone else's need. What drove this woman to Jesus was the need of her daughter. You know, I mentioned earlier as we prayed for these families that have just been coming to me. I don't know why to me and all that, but families from other states, people I know, relationships, whatever. But they're going through these horrible times. I was talking to the wife of one of the families affected. She's very discouraged, as you might understand, and the, the pain and the trial of marital difficulties and potential separation and divorce and infidelity and all these things. And she had texted me yesterday <clears throat> as we've been, you know, just praying for her and her husband and her children. And she said, I need to see, you know, she named her husband. I need to see a miracle in his life. I didn't text her back yet, but I am going to say to her, you know, because part of what she was implying is, you know, he's tried before and failed. And sort of, I'll believe it when I see it. And the problem that can happen when we get into these difficult situations is we look at the person and we think, well, when I see that person change, then I'll believe. But see, our hope can't be in a person. Our hope has to be in Christ. And my encouragement to her is, don't look to him for change. Look to the Lord for change. Pray that God would change his heart and pray that he would open his heart to change. That the transforming grace and love of Jesus would be in his life. Don't discount faith in his life, even though he claims to be a believer because you've seen him fail multiple times and don't trust in him don't hope in him hope in christ hope in the lord the second we ever place our faith in someone else changing we are doomed to failure we are doomed to disappointment but we place our faith and our hope in the lord Let us remember this history when we pray for ourselves, meaning this story. We are sometimes tempted to think that we get no good by our prayers and that we may as well give them up altogether. Let us resist the temptation. It comes from the devil. Let us believe and pray on. Let us continue to pray against our besetting sins, against the spirit of the world, against the wiles of the devil. Let us pray on and not faint for strength to do duty. For grace to bear our trials, for comfort in every trouble. Let us continue in prayer. Let us be sure that no time is so well spent in every day as that which we spend upon our knees. Jesus hears us and in his own good time will give an answer. Let us remember this history when we intercede for others. Pay attention. Have we children whose conversion we desire? Have we relatives and friends and spouses whose salvation we are anxious about? Let us follow the example of this Canaanite woman and lay the state of their souls before Christ. Let us name their names before him night and day and never rest until we have an answer. We may have to wait many a long year. We may seem to pray in vain and intercede without profit, But let us never give up. Let us believe that Jesus is not changed and that he who heard the Canaanite mother and granted her request will also hear us and one day give us an answer of peace just as he gave to her. So let this Canaanite woman's example be an example to you and to me be persistent in our faith before the lord didn't jesus already teach us back when we went through the beatitudes in matthew chapter 7 ask seek and knock a lesson that he gave to the jews but here we have it embodied personified in a pagan canaanite woman who was asking and seeking and knocking Well, we move on to the next scene of this story in verse 29. Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. So he's back up in the region most likely of where he gave the Sermon on the Mount. And then great multitudes came to him. They heard about him. And having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others... They laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. And the implication is that he healed them all. As Jesus continues to minister, we get the sense that the part of the the region of Galilee that he was in, in fact, as we read down a a little bit further, he's over on the um, Gentile side, actually, of the, the Sea of Galilee, So he's continuing to minister to the Gentiles. So all of these multitudes that came to him were apparently Gentile peoples. And they brought their sick, their lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And as they laid them down at the feet of Jesus, Jesus in his great compassion and mercy continued to heal everyone that was brought to him. Now, In the Gospels, we get this repetition of stories, don't we? We've already read a number of times that Jesus healed people. People brought their sick and their lame and their maimed to Jesus, and he did this, and we read it here again, and we think, yeah, okay, we've read this before, Lord, we've heard this. Don't you need to hear something several times? Don't things need to be repeated so that our hard hearts and our thick skulls Would grasp the truth of God's Word we're told again here that Jesus healed people why does the Lord continue to emphasize that he wants to heal sick people because he wants us to pray you see we may not be able to physically bring people to Jesus as they did because Jesus was physically there but can't we take people before the Lord in prayer on our knees? Can't we literally bring people into the presence of God as we pray? And we're told here in verse 31, so the multitude marvelled. And when they saw the mute speaking, the maim made whole, the lame walking and the blind seeing, they glorified the God of Israel. Isn't that the point of healing? You see, we need to understand, we need to get it straight in our minds when we say, hey, can you pray for this person who's sick? The first question I'm going to ask you is, do they know the Lord? Because if they don't, the first prayer is not that they would be healed physically, but that they would be healed spiritually. And in being healed spiritually, that God might be gracious and heal them physically. Why? For the glory of God. We never pray just that people would be healed for the sake of being healed. God wants the glory of the miracles of the things that he does. God never does things without purpose. One commentator pointed out here that there are some finer things in the language. Among those brought were certain classed as maimed, which is usually interpreted as bent. You know, we've seen people sort of bent over, you know, having distended backs and that kind of thing. But in Matthew um, 18.8, the same word is used, which seems to mean mutilated. Another uh, scholar argues for this sense and the meaning that among Christ's works of healing were the restoration of lost limbs. That in, in this description of people, that there were people who came either perhaps born without an arm or a leg, or maybe something happened along the way and it had to be uh, amputated because of illness, and that these people were healed. Now, anytime we see someone who's in this category that we get described as mute, maimed, lame, sick, healed and walking, and that everybody knew about it, people would be looking at it saying, well, if one person got healed, okay, that's pretty cool, right? But it wasn't one person. And we aren't told how many. We're told there were a multitude of people who were brought before Jesus. And you get the sense that Jesus is sitting on this hill and people are just bringing these lame, maimed, sick, uh, grotesque people and laying them on the grass, on the ground before Jesus. And there may have been dozens. There may have been hundreds. And Jesus healed them. Now think of the impact for the renown of the glory of God that it's not just one person who got healed, but there's a lot of people who got healed. And now people in the region are looking at this saying, wait, we never saw this person because they never came out of their house because they were on their bed. We never, when this person was brought out, they, they didn't. their left leg was missing and now it's back. Their right arm was gone. Their ear had fallen off because of leprosy. And Jesus did these things. And these people were healed. And it was for the glory of God. May we pray, may we intercede for healings, both spiritual healing as well as physical healing, for the glory of God. Continuing on in verse 32. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and says, "I have compassion on the multitude. They've now been with me for three days, and they have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way." And then his disciples said to him, keeping in mind that earlier, while Jesus was ministering in a Jewish region, he had fed the 5,000. Now his disciples say to him, uh, "Well, I don't know, Lord we." Where can we get bread out here, way out here? And don't you wonder, just as you read this, you stop at verse thirty-three, and you're like, "Wait a minute, I read this somewhere before." Except they were there, weren't they? They they lived it. His disciples. Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to feed such a great multitude? And this was a smaller crowd than what they had witnessed before. Remember, there were five thousand besides women and children conservatively there were 15,000 people before now we're here with 4,000 we're also told besides women and children conservatively there's 12,000 and they're kind of like Lord where could we get enough bread to feed so many people Jesus said well okay same thing right same ammo as before well what do you have how many loaves do you have okay well we have seven and a few little fish and so Jesus commanded the multitude to sit on the ground. In the previous situation, Jesus had more of an interaction with them. He talked them through it and he led them through it. Here, Jesus is just taking charge of the situation and he just tells all the people, sit down. And he takes the seven loaves and the fish in verse 36 and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. Same thing as before. In the hands of Jesus, it was broken and blessed. And as he gave it to his disciples and they distributed it, it just multiplied. As the basket was passed down the row of people, it was never empty. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around this, but that's what happened before in the feeding of the 5,000. And the exact same thing is happening again here in the feeding of the 4,000. So we're told in verse 37, so they all ate... And were filled. All. And they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Again, meaning, as we, we talked about back in the feeding of the 5,000, the word fulfilled means everyone was completely satisfied. No one was hungry. Nobody left wishing I had more. Where did this come from? It came from the blessing of God. Jesus worked a miracle. Healing someone is a miracle, and God gets the glory. Feeding people in the wilderness with next to nothing is a miracle, and God gets the glory. And Jesus, we're told, had compassion on the people. He didn't want to send them away. Many of them had a day or two or three days journey to get back to their homes because they were out in the wilderness. They they had come to see Jesus. They made great sacrifice to come see Jesus. The implication is they didn't even go to work. And in our modern vernacular, perhaps they didn't even call in sick. They just didn't show up because they heard Jesus is in town and they went to see Jesus. And so they're out there. And now they're, they've been with Jesus and there's been ministry and people have been healed and people are understanding that he is the Lord, that he's God, that he's the Messiah. And God is receiving the glory and Jesus says, I don't want to send them away. They can't make it. We've got to give them something to meet their need. And so he prayed and he blessed this food and they were fed and they ate. Now remember in the previous story in the feeding of the 5,000, it says when the disciples took up the leftovers that there were 12 baskets full. In that situation, think of Think of a basket, a little bit more like a lunchbox or maybe the size of sort of an offering plate, if you will. It's just a small basket to carry something in. The word used here in this situation is a different kind of basket. And it's a basket that we could say if we were making sort of a parallel to our uh, world today would be like a large laundry hamper. So it's more like a, a, a basket that's so tall. So it's not like a little basket, like a passing the plate kind of basket. This is a large basket. Remember before, there were 12 baskets left over, and there were what? 12 disciples. And they each had enough so that they also, after serving and ministering in the name of the Lord, they themselves would have their needs met. But now, in this situation, seven large baskets full of the fragments were left. I mean, this is a super abundance compared to what happened before. Each of them were provided just enough for their needs. Previously, this time, there's so much food left over, it's just ridiculous. So they took up these seven large laundry hamper-like baskets full of the fragments that were left, and we told that those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. Jesus is so amazing, isn't he? I hope you understand that. I hope that you can't wait in the morning or evening or whenever you get alone with the Lord to open his word and to read it. To read the gospels, to read the red letters because this these are words of life. This is not a story. This is not fiction. This is real. This is this is Jesus. This is our Lord, this is our savior. And like this Gentile woman, the Lord wants us to have a faith that is persistent, a faith that presses into the Lord, that asks and seeks and knocks, a faith that won't give up. Even when things get tough, even when we have trials, you see, the trials are meant to drive us to the Lord, not away. And if you are going through anything, any kind of trial or burden or situation, and you are going the other direction, that is not the response the Lord has for you. His desire for you is that you would be drawn to Him, that you would come to Him and cry out, Abba, Father, in the midst of the trial and in the midst of the madness. Before we leave chapter 15, let's gather a few things together going all the way back to what Pastor Mitch had given us last week the enemies of truth are often religious people who live according to tradition Satan often uses religion to blind the minds of people to the simple truth of God's word that's one thing another thing we must beware of any religious system that gives us an excuse to sin and to disobey God's word Remember we talked last week about Corbin and how they could take something that in that culture would have been designated for helping them take care of their parents in their old age. And now one of the brothers or sisters calls up and says, okay, well, mom and dad need somewhere to live. They can't stay with us. We don't have any room. They need to stay with you. And they would say, Corbin, meaning uh, my 401k is off limits, I'm not helping out mom and dad. They need to go to a home and let the government pay for it. I'm not dealing with it. That was the equivalent in their society. And how they would just simply use these religious techniques to, to disobey God's word. And in that culture it was the right thing to do. And the, the implication for us is, what is the right thing to do for us? We can't make excuses and say, well, I can't because or I won't because... We need to look at God's Word and respond to the truth of God's Word, whatever that is. We must beware of worship that comes from the lips only and not from the heart. And we talked about that last week of how Jesus says, uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Here's a good one. If we major on the inner man, the outer man will become what God wants it to be. If we major on the inner man, the outer man will become what God wants it to be. Here's one for us. We dare not limit Christ to any one nation or people. The gospel did come to the Jew first, but it also came for all, for the Greek, for the Gentile. Remember, the Lord says, Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's for anyone. Remember that Jesus wants us to be persistent in our faith and to not give up, to not lose hope. Jesus also wants to remember, wants us to remember that these things, these stories are real. These things are meant to inspire faith. These things are meant for us to pray in the same way that these people prayed, They are meant for us to expect the same things of the Lord Jesus that these people expected and experienced. You're saying, but I have prayed for people who were sick before and nothing happened. I've prayed for this or that and nothing happened. Continue. Keep on. Don't give up. Sometimes I've been praying about things or praying about something that, you know, for years that hasn't happened And yet, no time in prayer is ever wasted. No time in God's Word is ever, you know, just a wasteful time. God will teach us. God will grow us. God often helps me understand that He's got something else going on over there in that person's life that I don't see and that I don't understand. Yes, I'm praying. That doesn't mean that God's not working. God's working something in their life that they need to understand and experience first before He wants to bring them to the place of healing or restoration. See, there's things I just don't understand. And we experience this all the time, don't we? When we, we, we observe something happen and we think, well, that was dumb, why'd they do that? And we, you know, they should have done this and they should have done that. And then we listen to their story and we understand why they did that. We understand that they were in pain. They under, we understand that they just had a death in the family. We understand that something crazy just happened, that everything broke and they went bankrupt. Things that we don't understand, but God knows and God understands. So let us not give up in storming the gates of heaven in kneeling before the throne of grace where we are told that we find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Let us not grow weary in doing good. Let us stay the course and keep the faith. Let us press on for the upward call of God in, in Christ Jesus. Let's remain persistent like this poor dear woman remained persistent and her daughter was healed. And remember, it's all for the glory of God. You see, so often we don't receive answers, James said, because we we want to spend it amiss on our own motives, on our own lust. No, when we pray, we need to make sure our motives are purified by the fact that if I can't say or append it's for your glory, Lord, that I'm asking for this, then maybe I'm asking for the wrong reason. But if I can purify the intent behind my prayers by saying, Lord, this is for your glory, I think God is going to delight in answering that prayer. So let us be persistent. Lord, we love you this morning. Perhaps there's some among us as we have been talking here that feel they've been persistent, but maybe disappointed. And Lord, this morning, let this be a a time where we are just encouraged to press forward, to press upward into the the call of Christ. And and Lord, may you work among us, Lord, this morning as we've been talking, there might be some here who would even say that they are a person who needs that kind of prayer for healing or uh, for emotional healing, for spiritual healing, for physical healing. Lord, hear their prayer. And Lord, may we be able to say, for your glory. Because Lord, there's something that's true. It's for your glory and for our good. Whatever is for your glory is always for our good. And so may we press into you this morning, Jesus, as we cry out to you, as this woman did. Lord, like that man who stood by the temple and beat his chest and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's where we are. And Lord, today, whether we know you or not, whether we are called by your name or maybe we're just kind of checking out this Jesus thing, let today be the day that we are fully convinced that you are the Lord, that you are God, that you are Jesus, and that we come to you. Lord, if there's any among us listening or anywhere who don't know you, I just pray right now that they would humble themselves and just say, Lord, help me, and that you would come into their lives and bless them and fill them and forgive them and make that person a son or daughter, make them a child of God. And Lord, for us this morning, may this encourage and stimulate us to press on in Christ. And like this woman, Lord, may we learn persistence, may we learn faithfulness as your sons and as your daughters. Lord, we love you, we bless you, we thank you for how good you are to us. We bless your holy name. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.